Hello, and welcome to Gaming Broadcast. Uh, this is your host, Jamie Dale, the Gaming Broad over at GamingBroadly.com. Uh, and this is Kyle. Not those things. Uh, and we're joined today with special guest, Nick Bester. Hello, I'm also not those things. <laughs> no one here is, is, my, is me. That's, that's the takeaway. <laughs> Um, Nick is a doctoral candidate over at the University of Texas at Austin. He's studying licensing and games, which is a pretty fancy way of saying who owns stuff. Yeah, pretty much. So, like, I'm in the, <laughs> I'm in the process of writing a chapter on star on several different Star Wars games and how they've sort of utilized the license and sort of contributed to world building. And then the later uh-huh. chapters will move on to different licenses. So, I think Warcraft will be the next chapter I write after that. Nice. Warcraft. We like Warcraft here. Are you going to do Diablo? Uh, no, I think the... You should know me and Kyle's running joke is that we don't really enjoy playing Diablo, but we talk about it in every podcast, so... It's good to know that you're not researching it, so we don't actually have to talk about it this time. Okay. Well, I... Except for mm-hmm. the fact that I just... I just talked about it. But, other than that... You name dropped it. <laughs> name dropped we're, we're trying to get those Diablo fans... No, we just do the same podcast over and over. <laughs> we should just again. that could be interesting. The Diablo podcast. Yeah, it would be like the uh, Pulmonard uh, author of Don Quixote of podcasts. He would just do the same thing over and over again. Oh, but like, I like we it. we would come to yeah. appreciate different aspects, different <laughs> facets. I was like, this of time, <laughs> this time, their intonation was on this word. What does it mean? It's like Groundhog's Day. <laughs> we don't get to stop making the same podcast till we yeah. make the perfect podcast. Well, there's also that podcast, The Worst Idea Ever, where they just yes. wa- they watched yeah, yeah, Grown yeah. Ups 2 was one of them. I forget what the other movie they did. They watched it every week for a year and recorded 52 episodes about that experience. I know they do, they do another one that's like uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop oh, 2, and they watch that every uh, Thanksgiving. I <laughs> Let's not do that. That does I don't want to do that. Uh, I yeah, don't I, do... That's what we're doing right now. So everybody, <laughs> cue up your video. We've got a link for the right. watch with me on yeah. Netflix. <laughs> There's like a weird fascination with mall cops. Like, why are there so? Are there more movies about mall cops than like other kinds of cops? Well, not certainly not regular cops. There's a lot of movies about those. Yeah, I guess there's like Law yeah. and Order, which is all cops. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Uh-huh. Or, you all know, right, buddy fine. cop movies. But, oh, uh-huh. yeah. There should be a mall cop game. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> speaking of games, so we all play card games. Yeah. I'm curious how we all got into playing sure. card games. And by that, I don't mean, like, Gen Rummy or, like, Go yeah. Fish, but, like, the more elaborate themed ones that involve a fantasy world. Yeah. So, so, so not traditional card games. Yeah, nothing with like the the ace jack queen king. Yeah, stiff. Uh, so I would say, from my experience, a lot of people that I know who play uh, card games, collectible card games, uh, have a lot of background in magic. So like, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who used to play magic but like got out of it because it was too expensive, or you know, still dabble in it. I never really got. I was never seriously into uh, magic. I had some friends in middle school who were who played it a lot. I remember going to a themed birthday party uh, when I was in middle school that was magic-themed. That's adorable. Uh, And, you know, I had, you know, some cards just to to play with them. But uh, I was very into the Pokemon card game, although more in terms of collecting. I remember recently, in the last few years, like, 
looking up the rules to the Pokemon card game and going, I don't remember any of this. Did they change the rules? And then discovering, no, they haven't changed the rules. I was just clearly not playing it right when I was like 10 or 11. I never played a single game of Pokemon. No, like Pokemon uh, does cards. anyone know? Do you catch Pokemon? No. You just have Pokemon. You play them on a bench and there's like... The prize, the prize cards was the area where I was like, I don't remember this at all, but it's like a fundamental like win condition in the in the series. Did you all have them in that? I remember I had like a Pokemon binder where there was like the little sleeves. I actually had my uh, my binder stolen from my oh. bag in middle school, and this was a very That's traumatic so moment for me. Did you ever? Did you banish the child that stole your card? Um, so, cards, multiple. I. I I don't think I don't think it was ever it could ever be pro- proven who stole them. Did you ever know? There was a very good indication that like somebody somebody who who would have known said like I'm pretty sure these two kids did it, and I think there was something of my parents like calling up their parents and and like asking about it, but like nothing could be nothing could be proved, and they got away with it if they were indeed the ones who took them so you know that's very sad so you played pokemon but you didn't play you just like you liked the yeah i i I was i was very i was very into pokemon like when when that craze first kicked off in the late 90s early 2000s so i was involved in the card game when it first came out were Uh, you living in japan at that point i i lived in japan uh the year before pokemon came out in uh the u.s so I had like okay. a year head start because Pokemon was very big in Japan when I moved there, which actually helped me quite a bit in in middle school, just because I knew I knew uh, like much more about Pokemon than everybody else did. So I but obviously not how to play. It provided me, you know, <laughs> some level of social capital in middle school. You know, not that I was in any way a cool person, as evidenced by the fact that I went to a magic themed birthday party. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, it, it certainly. You know, I like that it's not magic like a magician, but like magic. <laughs> no, no, it was ma- it was magic. The Gathering. I have a cool fact about you, Nick, that you can tell me. We can bleep it out later if you don't want it. So Nick apparently was referenced in, for those of you who know, and Allison wrote this great book called Pokemonsters. Millennial Monsters. There you go, Millennial Monsters, um, which is all about children and Pokemon and all that stuff. And I found out recently, I was like, oh my god, that Nick was one of the children referenced and interviewed. I am thanked in it. I am in the, if you look in the, (laughs) if anybody has the Millennial Monsters, like in the foreword, I am I am thanked. Like the book came out like four or five years after we lived in Japan, but I was one of the very first people that Ann Allison uh, interviewed for that because she she and my parents were friends. My parents are uh, anthropologists who study Japan, so they know everybody who does does this sort of thing. So yeah, like when Ann Allison came to Japan to begin doing her field work, uh, she interviewed me to just sort of get a general sense of of the franchise and Pokemon. And I very distinctly remember explaining it in far too much detail. Like I was giving, I was giving her like a plot point by plot point. Like, and at this point you beat Brock and then you go through Mount Moon and then you have to fight Misty and then you fight all these other things. I'm like, Nick, I don't, I don't, I don't need all this information. You're, you're giving me too much. I like to think that you are like responsible for her deciding to write that book, which has been, um, I would say influential. It is well referenced. As, yeah. There's not that many books about like Pokemon, especially the card game. But yeah. um, which is a bit surprising. Well, there are some books, you would think. But, but yeah, I, I yes, there's not that as many as you think. There's other ones that are like on localization, but hers was very distinctly like an anthropology. But yeah, yeah Kyle. So you should come over and look at this book, and yeah, then we can talk about how nerdy Nick was as a child. Well, thank you for saying was. You're welcome. <laughs> 
So, like, that's my sort of early history with card games. But I, it's probably, like, 10 or 15 years later that I actually, like, got into them seriously. Which, I guess it must have been while I was getting my master's degree uh, at Emory. I stopped playing World of Warcraft and needed something new to occupy my time. Uh, and I decided to look into card games. And at that time, the Game of Thrones, the TV show, had just come out. And I just read all the books. I got into the Game of Thrones card game. So one thing led to another. And I sort of became obsessed with card games over the last five or six years. I had no idea there was a Game of Thrones card game. Yes. Kyle, did you ever play a Game of Thrones card game? I didn't play it, but I knew it existed. I'm living in a rock. I'm sorry. Not under one. In, in a inside, rock. <laughs> inside of a rock. That's where I live. Kyle, did you play Magic mostly as a kid? No. I didn't play Magic. It'd <laughs> be funny until... if you just stopped there. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Nope. I don't know what games are. No. Why am I here? What is a uh, card? What is a card you speaking of? <laughs> like a Christmas card? A business card? When you play games with them? I don't understand. Um, yeah, the game is called, like, Does Your Family Love You? Right, and uh, apparently, according to capital standards, my family does not love me. <laughs> um, so uh, I didn't play Magic until post-college. Give us a year there. 2000... <laughs> Never mind. 13? No one knows about Maybe? I don't know. It was when, it was when okay. we lived in Rhode Island. Mm, okay. Um, like I, I I knew people who played Magic Card and like Magic Cards, which is like the the kids version or whatever. Oh. Um, Fascinating! I had no idea. I I had an open period in in high school where I had nothing to do, and apparently that same open period was when all of like the collectible card people played games. So you were locked into the um, the lunchroom. During that open period. This doesn't sound yeah. like and much so of an open period. all that period. I could do... No, it was not much of an open period. <laughs> but all I could do was, like, watch these people play card games. I had nothing else to do. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. So I just watched these people so play So you just games. watched? You never joined in? No, because I never had any cards or anything. No one, like, ever let you play with their cards? Uh, no. No, no, no. Your school was filled with garbage children. Apparently. Uh, well, full I mean, of most poor... Are. Children that just wanted to not like to give it to you, but like let you play. You don't have to like give some cards. Whatever, I was content. Whatever. I would hope that if you had asked, they probably would have let you borrow a deck. That's probably true. Yeah. Okay, we'll blame Um, it on your shyness, not but uh, I I didn't I didn't play Magic until when one of my roommates was like, "Do you guys want to play Magic? I'm really bored." And we're like, yes. Yes, we do. So we all went out to the game store, and we all bought a deck of Magic cards, and we learned to play Magic <laughs> that day. This is like great. the adult version, or the like more nerdy version of like, I'm an adult, I can buy milkshakes anytime I want. Only now. Yeah, right. Like, I'm yeah. an adult, I can buy Magic cards anytime and that's when, I want. And that's when I started my, uh, my love of goblins. and Because uh, the deck that I got was like all about getting as many goblins as possible and it also is the deck that everybody hated to play because like the entire idea was like uh there's a there's a boss and uh he multiplies like he doubles the amount of goblins you have on the field and so every turn you can you can double the amount you have and so i would just get to like (laughs) 20 to 40 goblins and be like 
Well, basically the game is done, but I just want to see how many goblins I can get before everybody just stops. Yeah, I definitely have rage quit. Yeah. Or wanted to rage quit. <laughs> A game with your goblins. It's so infuriating. Yeah. All of my friends have built decks to stop my goblins, and like that's their only path is to stop them. So now it doesn't work anymore. But I still love those goblins. They're very cute. Yeah. They're cute and infuriating. Mm-hmm. Just like you. Duh. Nice. <laughs> I'm not always a jerk, unlike some people I know. Um, thanks. <laughs> so, Nick, from a child of um, nerdery, dorkery, <laughs> I don't know. What gave you the courage to study card games in a PhD program? It's not typically yeah. done, as far as I know. So I guess, like, what gave you the courage or, like, the oomph that you're like, no, really, I have to do this now. This must be done. Um... Well, I I appreciate you describing it as courage, and no, those aren't too lofty a, a, a way to describe it. Yes, I I truly am a brave, brave man. Um, I think a lot of it just sort of stems from sort of experiences just uh, playing the game with Morgan and Julius, who I uh, played Warhammer Forty Thousand Conquest uh, quite a bit with, talk, talking through sort of all the different facets of the game, the online comings and goings of the communities and talking about the ways that the license was being utilized by fantasy flight and talking about strategy and all these other different sort of components uh going into that uh so i started i just sort of started thinking about it and you know when you're trying to come up with a uh a dissertation topic you know you ideally want something that's novel and hasn't really been done before and by and large there isn't really a lot of research on card games so that was sort of part of the inspiration there and like the first version of my dissertation proposal was very specifically like i want to talk about collectible card games uh but i was convinced slash forced into making it a bit broader and sort of talking (laughs) about uh licensing and games more broadly uh which is still going to include card games as a major component of that but it's no longer just uh, card games. So yes, that's where my bravery comes from. <laughs> Verily, <laughs> it's good. I mean, I'm I'm a big proponent of, um, and I, I think I I talked to Kyle about this a lot too because Kyle does illustration, and I find that there's a tendency towards things that are like very popular and widespread, but seemingly like low art. Yeah, like. I would say that card games are considered, like, low media in terms of, like, the hierarchy of fanciness. Like, you've got, like... Even in games, I think they're kind of, like, on the lower end. Yeah. You can play video games, but if you're, like, obsessed with card games, it's, like, a whole nother level of, of, like, nerdery going on. Yeah, like, there's... I don't know. There's that component to it, and there's also sort of the the commodification commercial aspect of it, this sort of idea that there's this cheap money grab and, you know, the, the the sort of reputation of, you know... Yu-Gi-Oh fans or whatever is being these sort of cultural dupes who are sort of been sucked into this uh, into this media franchise that is for designed for children, but they're you know spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on it. I think is sort of a a common depiction of uh, card gamers a lot online. Um, and Do yeah, you feel that way? Do you feel duped by the? By the capitalistic well, uh, I mean, framework I, I, of the United I, I States. Sure, I mean, I, like, the, the card games that I have been playing, with the exception of Hearthstone, which I spend more money than I really want to think about. So, like, Fantasy Flight's Game of Thrones card game, they have this model called Living Card Games, which are non-collectible. So, like, when you buy uh, a pack, everybody's getting the same amount of cards, and so everybody has 
if you buy a product, there's no chasing rares. There's no sort of, oh, I need this like super hard to find card. And oh, that bastard, he's playing this deck that he's spent hundreds of dollars on. How can I possibly beat him? It there, You right. still end up spending, you know, hundreds of dollars to buy all of the cards uh, if you go that route. But there isn't. It takes out the rarity and the collectability aspect of it. So I found that a little bit more palatable, and I've, to one extent or another, played almost all of uh, Fantasy Flight's LCGs. So they had Game of Thrones, they had a Call of Cthulhu card game, and now they've rebooted that as Arkham Horror, there's a Lord of the Rings, there's Star Wars. Oh, I love that game. There's Warhammer 40,000 Conquest, which is no longer with us. Every so often I've considered getting into magic, but then I've also thought, it was like, yes, but then think of all the money that I would be spending. All that money that I could instead be putting into Hearthstone. <laughs> so, I, I'm, I'm certainly as susceptible as anybody, perhaps even more so, to that sort of collectible, gotta catch them all kind of impulse. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think collecting things is an age-old human tradition. We've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So there's there's something about objects that we, we quite like. That, yes, is very easy to like for mean companies to make lots of money. But yeah, I, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that you have an emotional attachment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely. Like, the experience of playing these games. So it like goes beyond just like being duped by Oh, yeah, absolutely. Into, like, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that sort of idea of sort of the emotional attachment, that effective attachment, both to the game and to that sort of acquisitional process, if be it a collectible game or a non-collectible game, but also to the property itself. I think these are all things that, as I am sort of figuring out what it is that I'm talking about in my dissertation, these are all things that I want to be focusing on. Um, yeah, is, do you feel that you have a different emotional attachment to fantasy worlds that you played card games, or how I phrase like the fantasy worlds that exist for you through card games versus ones that exist through like digital video games or film? I think it's sort of interesting that like if you asked me to talk about my impressions of different characters in Game of Thrones, I would look at Game of Thrones through the lens of the card game. Oh. The, there are all these characters that I don't necessarily remember from. Uh, the book, because, you know, w- when you're doing this long-running game, you have to, like, dig up all these characters, like uh, Dagon Manwoody. N- n- none of us none of us remember Dagos Manwoody. No one remembers his character, <laughs> but I have a very specific memory. Is that of, a real name? It is a real... What's even more amazing, he has a son named Dickon Manwoody. There clearly Ooh, becomes a point where George... Dickon Manwoody. Yes. There's, Someone was drunk. George R. 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 Martin <laughs> definitely started just uh, screwing with the people when he was coming up with names. Dagos or Dagon, whatever his name is, Manwoody is like a very minor character in like the Martell sections of the books. But I have a very specific memory of him because he is, you know, an important card in one of my favorite decks. Yeah, I, I, it's just sort of interesting that like, particularly in sort of such a big sprawling world where you know the Lannisters and the Targaryens and the Starks, there's a thousand other characters and what I know about the more minor characters often is, is so informed by just like, oh yeah, they had this card that was entirely useless. Why would anyone play this card? <laughs> or this card that was entirely broken and everybody came to hate this character that nobody remembered from the books. Uh, is just sort of a really oh, interesting way of sort of recontextualizing and reappropriating uh, the the materials there. Yeah, I mean, I had never... I, one that's amazing, I had never thought of that. But um, yeah, there's something, I guess, about card games, because even if you're an important main character, quote-unquote, you still just take up one card. Yeah. like, And everyone is taking up one card, so it's like a strange like equalizer of how 
I guess all of the pieces fit into like this larger system. But I think you're right that in film or in books we get kind of. I think even in like graphic novels because they're following the the action of one character yeah. or like one or two main characters that you kind of lose sight of all the other moving pieces that are happening. But when you're literally playing with all of the moving pieces, you kind of have a closer relationship yeah. with the teeny bits. Same in video games. You're the protagonist, so you mostly are paying attention to yourself and yeah. like your ragtag team of characters if you're playing in like a group, like an RPG setting. Yeah. Kind of thing. And one of the interesting things about like the first iteration of the Game of Thrones game, just sort of in terms of the mechanics, uh, you were actually often disincentivized to run like the main characters because they were usually too expensive and too vulnerable. Uh, like because if if uh, Ned Stark ever died and you drew another copy of Ned Stark, you couldn't play him because he was already <laughs> dead. I think the second edition has sort of made unique characters, named characters, a little bit be- better. But there was this kind of weird thing where like the number of decks that were like a Lannister deck that was actually running any of the Lannisters or a Stark deck that actually ran Ned Stark were pretty uncommon. You ended up with these weird decks where they were like just a bunch of like nameless, uh, anonymous, non-unique armies and dudes, uh, which uh, yeah, probably works against the license in a lot of ways, but also, but also I think actually kind of supports the license in some other interesting ways because, uh, you know, we have all of these big, massive battles going on, and, you know, what impact, you know, Jamie Lannister has on the entire War of the Five Kings is fairly limited, even if he's a major player in that. So there is actually something sort of appealing about the idea of the card game just becomes about the, the little people, the the, uh, the small folk, or whatever it is they're called in uh, in Westeros, and they end up fighting, and they happen yeah. to be Lannisters, but none of the Lannisters are there. In some ways, it is actually kind of appropriate yeah i mean you feel the loss of like a single card or like a, i'm gonna use chess because chess is another one sure. that, like when you lose one it's like no <laughs> why steve or whatever i've decided to name that chess piece um kyle okay, wait 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 you named the chess pieces apparently which which chess piece is steve i have a guess in my mind i want to see if i'm right oh yeah why don't you both guess and then i'll, All right. I'll tell you Bishop. I thought it was a bishop too. Is Steve a bishop? Yeah. Nope, it's a pawn. You have a very strong attachment to your pawns, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Are they all I, named I mean, Stephen, you... or do you have eight different pawn names? I mean, Stephen is a very popular name. It's true. So uh... I guess they they could all be Justins or Michaels. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so yes. Um. <laughs> oh man. Oh Steve. Uh, Kyle, you have a similar feeling, I think, about the Tales game, if I remember correctly. Like, you, you, I remember you quite enjoy them, and it's because they don't often necessarily focus on, like, the main character that they would and maybe the larger games. I'm thinking of, like, Tales from Borderlands that you oh. really enjoyed. I was thinking like, of, like, the Tales of JRPG series. I'm like, I don't oh. know where this <laughs> That's <laughs> also what I was thinking of, and it's like, I don't think I've ever talked about that. <laughs> Yeah. No, we've never even played more than an hour of. We need to. What are your thoughts on Tales today. Tales of Symphonia? <laughs> Tell us yeah. now. Um aggressively complicated, but that's for another day. Uh but yeah, you like the Tales series and they often focus on I would say lesser known. I mean, Tales from Borderlands definitely focused on lesser known slash completely unknown. <laughs> right, yeah. It, like it members was, of that universe. Uh adding to the universe without the necessity to have the big names that you would play with in the other Borderlands games. 
And it's not even like the big arc, right? I mean, it, like the big arc would affect the story that was happening, but it wasn't necessarily like you weren't completing the big arc of the Borderlands games. Is that correct? Yeah. I think there is stuff that does affect Borderlands going forward, mm-hmm. but it does run like to the side of like the Borderlands series, I guess. I, I did like the world of Borderlands, so it was nice to just have like a story that was like taking place and I yeah. could just like kind of like watch and everything. So that was really cool. Okay. I like it. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's similar to card games in which like you get the opportunity to play with lesser known characters. I guess the only thing I can think of is like when you do like the spin off shows. But even that, I feel like it doesn't have the same feeling because then they yeah. become the protagonists of their own show. So it just perpetuates the whole like mm. main character, lesser known characters. I don't know. I do like some comics. Like, I remember that I really liked the Buffy comics um, because I got to know some of the characters that were glossed over in the show. Yeah. Like, very abruptly. But even then, I don't think it's the same as now, like, are we talk- physically losing a card. Are we talking about the continuation series or the earlier stuff, like, from when it was running? Oh, the continuation. I think we're doing continuation. Okay. We're doing continuation. Because I decided not to read the comics because they... Were very similar to the show. Yeah, well, the well, the stuff that like Dark <laughs> and I, I didn't want to read the same story over. Again. Well, the, the yeah, no, the comics that were running like while the show was on the air were not very good. So I was just sort of interested to. <laughs> mm, no continuation, yeah. but I did get to know the lesser known characters. They also, and, like the backstories. Yeah. It was fun. They also had a really weird thing where like nobody was drawing anybody to look like anybody on the show, so like. It kind of looked like a like a soap opera comic, like it was done in like yeah. just really generic, and no one was dressed like they were in the '90s. They were constantly like in like really like uh, like late '80s uh, like posh, like what you would see on like a teen soap opera from that era. Like, and it was very strange, like posh Spice Girl kind of. No, attire? like you know, kind of like upper class rich white people in california how they might have dressed in like the 70s and the 80s and it was just like this is not what anybody on this show looks like and it's kind of hilarious (laughs) oh card games my little pony i forced you to play my little pony at one point yes i have not yet forced kyle to play my little pony correct i don't think we ever exactly figured out what we were doing but no, it was. It's a surprisingly complicated game. So, Nick, I'm challenging you to explain the rules of My Little Pony to Kyle <laughs> at this moment. Uh, that would require that would require me to understand the rules of My Little Pony. Uh, and I will <laughs> to say, the best of your I memory, say, you... I will say, having read those rules really made me appreciate the quality of writing for other games' rules. <laughs> like coming sure. from like Fantasy Flight, which is like where I'm mainly coming from, has a reputation for having far too complicated rules. Like, you get those yeah. rule books, and they're, like, 30 pages long. But, like, mm-hmm. when you have, like, this tiny little pamphlet that's doing it in, like, three pages, you go, oh, there's a reason for those 30 pages. Because <laughs> they they go into all these details and explain everything probably more than you really need on your first time. But, like, there were so many questions that we had while playing My Little Pony mm-hmm. that, like, there's just no way to know from that rule book what it is we're supposed to be doing. Uh, yeah. So let's see. Um, you have you're playing different ponies, and you have like resource matches where each of the each of the different ponies have like different colors that represent each of the different emotions that are, that are represented by that superpower thing that they have in that one episode that never comes up again. 
Uh, I'm enjoying uh-huh. this, like, explaining My Little Pony uh, and aspects for someone who has not really watched My Little I've Pony. I've watched, like, a season and a half of My Little Pony. I, I like to find enough, but I don't remember, like, the details of it. And so you're, you're collecting different aspects of friendship. Pretty much, yeah. So, like, you, ha- you would have, like, a pink and a no. purple deck and an orange and a white deck. And like orange, the ponies are represented by the different friendship gems. Yeah, so like orange is I don't know, community spirit, and white is kindness, and purple is. Is that not what I said? I what did I say? Well, you said you were collecting resources, but you're not really collecting. Yeah, there's no resource collection unless you consider friends a resource, which is like a whole. We could go into that. Well, already. I do. But That's why we have a number for how many friends we have. Yeah, I would, and I would say I would say the show actually probably was support a reading of of uh, of friends as being a resource. Like they they're constantly yeah. relying on each other in ways that are maybe not a commodity in that sort of sense of a resource, but certainly in terms of a support network. Uh, and then each player has like a different problem. I can't remember if that's exactly what conundrum or problem or something yeah, like that. Issue you have to solve issues. Yeah, so like you put your you put your ponies on trying solve to solve problems. these different problems, and like once you have the sufficient number of ponies to successfully confront the problem, you get points. But then there's like this weird like showdowns between like the ponies on both sides of the problems and like there's double showdowns when both sides like it gets way too complicated and the rules do a terrible job of explaining how anything is supposed to play out Uh, so how many ponies does it take to screw in a light bulb like four or five like you usually need to put like three or four ponies onto a problem uh (laughs) and like they're doing it on the other side and it is it is weirdly actually a lot like the call of cthulhu uh, card game that uh, Fantasy Flight did, but it's entirely possible that you know I'm just f- finding commonalities uh, everywhere. When do sure. it, do when it. all you have are Life when all fun. you have are LCGs, uh, every problem looks like a nail. I don't know. Uh. Sure, I the thing I loved about My Little Pony one the fact that you weren't actually fighting, you were like collaborate. Well, yeah. you were just solving problems, which was a weird um, way. Yeah, it would be it would be a little weird if like you were trying to beat people down to like I'm gonna do twenty damage to you and murder you. Yeah, just like yeah, My Little no. Pony. That wouldn't make any sense. There's also a thing that you could like solve the problems together, right? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I I think there was still a competitive element to it. I don't remember because like you would if if you were both successfully solving the problem, you would have these showdowns and like you would reveal mm-hmm. the top card of your of your deck and that would be added to the your pony power and whoever had the more pony power won the showdown oh you know what i'm thinking of it's the fact that the rules built in that if you were losing you got like an additional amount of stuff oh yeah like it had like equal yeah like like, they wanted to keep you head to head for as long as possible so no one felt like they were losing really bad yeah that was actually something i really appreciated like yeah so the the amount of resources that you get each turn is determined by uh whoever has the most points so like if, and it's like the more points you have, the less resources you get, right? No, it's the more resources you get, but both sides get the same amount. So if I've gotten to an early lead and I have five points uh, and you have zero points, whoever has the most points, five points, we both get, you know, six resources or whatever it is on the curve. So it like it, it makes it so you can't quite sort of snowball entirely out of control, sort of like, oh, I've gotten to, into the lead, now I can keep pumping out ponies. You have a bit more opportunity to stay in the game. Kind of like how I feel when I fight Kyle when he's using goblins. That gob, those goblin bastards. You get to a point where you're like, I don't even know if it's worthwhile for me to. Yeah, or to when I play Quest Rogue. Damn you, Quest Rogue. 
Now they fly, so there's that added thing. Oh my god, are really? I'm yeah. never playing you again. I'm just our friendship won't won't last. Flying goblin to you, <laughs> son of a bastard. No good. Um so we all play Hearthstone. I think I play it less substantially less <laughs> than mm-hmm. both of y'all because my, my iPad freezes when I try to play it, so uh, I can't play it. I, um, I mean you have yeah. a computer. Yeah, that's true. But there, I, I want to I want to touch it. Anyway, doesn't matter. I've played it. It's great. But I know that you all play it a lot. And I specifically know that Nick seems to be maintaining a spreadsheet. And it's not a shared, like, no, Google, no, like, crowdsourced spreadsheet. It's what is in the spreadsheet. I've seen a picture, and I don't know what's in it. And I'm, it's essentially all, it's essentially all of the cards that I don't own uh, so, and, like, organized by rarity and, like, how much dust i would need to craft it so like in in hearthstone for the for our listeners who, who don't know the uh the game uh any excess cards you get if you get extra cards or just a card that you don't want you can turn it into dust and then that dust can be used to make new cards so there isn't there isn't any sort of person-to-person trading but instead every card has some sort of inherent value even if it's a tiny it's a very like religious to dust Yes. We are made of dust into dust yeah. we shall return. Uh, so yeah, it's just sort of this, um, yeah, it's like I I have a pretty uh, good stockpile of dust, but I'm also incredibly stingy with it. So like, I will never like just go, I'm just going to craft this. I like have to like really think it over. So like, I will like run the numbers and figure out like if I craft every single card that I want right now, how much dust will I still have and how, and will I feel happy about that? Uh, so yeah, it's, uh... Are you this good with your actual financials? No, no, I don't, I don't keep any track of my budget in any way. No, this is the only thing that I do. I should, I should find a way to convince myself to do that with my real budget. That would actually be really smart. Just burn your money into dust. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I actually, like, particularly recently as, uh, this new expansion journey to Angoro has come out, I probably have spent about as much time just tinkering with the spreadsheet as I do actually playing. Uh, what inspired you to start this this spreadsheet? And I'm I'm curious that it's a spreadsheet of things you don't own yet versus like doesn't really indicate like what they would do for you in your deck, right? Like it's not like a deck building spreadsheet. No, no. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's spreadsheet. I think it's just at some point I was like I wanted to have a sense of what cards I owned, and you know you can do that like in the in Hearthstone itself searching. But uh, it's nice to just sort of have something I can look at and sort of keep track of, you know, oh, I, I own, you know, 90% of the cards in this set. Uh, there's, you know, 20 more cards that I need. Uh, there, there aren't any sets that I actually own all the cards for, but uh, there is something, you know, very nice. And going back to that sort of the pleasure of acquisition, the pleasure of sort of completionism, uh, it's very nice to have this sort of have the numbers in front of me and be able to sort of yeah. crunch the numbers and figure out it was like, okay, uh, can I afford to make this card that I'm missing? Sort of That's thing. That's impressive. So, so Kyle, yeah. do you have a spreadsheet? No. Well, shame <laughs> on you. Um, I just, You're um, not playing Hearthstone right then, Kyle. What I do is I, I open up um, all the cards in Hearthstone and all the ones that uh, I can't click on are all the ones that I don't have. <laughs> that's my system yeah. yeah no like there's nothing there's nothing that my spreadsheet does that like fundamentally i couldn't do but like i've definitely been in like boring like 
faculty meetings or things like that where like <laughs> I can spend some time sort of thinking about spending that sort of pl- that sort of pleasurable time thinking about the game, spending time on it without actually like opening it up and like obviously being playing a game in front of people. How many times have you how many hours have you spent thinking about Hearthstone when you were supposed to be in a faculty meeting? Uh, I'm in that many faculty meetings. I, it, I'm only recently, uh, like, at a <laughs> position where they actually invite me to. But, like, yeah, certainly, um, <laughs> like, I was at somebody's uh, presentation uh, a week and a half ago or so where I definitely... Uh, I, I did some I did some like filing with my papers for class and then I think I spent probably the rest of it just sort of going over going over the uh, cards um, and yeah like it's true I mean spreadsheets look very they look like work yeah they look like work but and there's just I don't know there's something about that organization and like as the cards were being revealed for this new expansion I was like filling it in that's that's why you saw that image of it because like once all the cards were revealed i got to spend like an hour like filling in all the blanks that i had been leaving in my spreadsheet uh just to have a list of every single card and on some level that's not actually helpful particularly like when the cards are new and i don't necessarily know what they what what all they do so like i have a list of like the 200 or whatever cards there are and some of them i can remember but a lot of it i would then have to go to another website and look at the actual cards um, but I don't know. There's just something, there's something that I find really, uh, you know, it's a pleasing use of my time that, uh, and for whatever reason seems a little less, I feel a little bit less guilty using that time than if I were like actually playing Hearthstone because it feels ah. somehow more productive. That's so interesting because it's in a spreadsheet. Because it's in a spreadsheet because it's. <laughs> Cause, but also I can like look at it like I it's I can spend less time on it like I can just you know open it up and like take a look at it and that can occupy my time for a minute or two, whereas, you know if I open up Hearthstone I might tell myself I'm going to only play one game but probably I end up playing for an hour or something. Twenty four hours. Yeah. Straight. <laughs> it's like Professor Layton. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that's a ton of labor. I mean, I I know, um, like, when I think about all of the additional labor that people put into games, I'm always, like, mystified and a little admirable. Yeah. I think, Kyle, we were talking about in our previous podcast about, like, fandoms. There's, there's this idea of, like, in order to be in a fandom, you have to, like, do something. Like, exert labor of yeah. some kind. Um and it's toward this this imaginary universe thing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm very impressed with your spreadsheet. Yeah. Do you, like, mark them off when you get them? Do you, like... Oh, yeah, like, they... they yeah, they'll, I'll, like, delete them or, like, for the ones that, like... Because some cards you can only have one copy of. Some cards you can have one or two copies of. So I'll, like, mark if I have one or two copies of certain cards. Uh, and, you know, it all adds up and, like, it'll tell me, like, how much dust I would need to craft all the missing cards I have in this set and how much dust I need to craft all the missing cards in this set. And like if I cra- if I disenchanted these extra cards that aren't already automatically disenchanted, how much sort of buffer dust do I have? Uh, buffer dust. And I have like different tabs for standard and wild. So like once a, once once uh, the grand tournament rotated into wild recently, all those cards got moved to this to the wild tab, and I've got all kinds of other calculations going on there as well. 
This is a multi multi sheet yeah. operation. Yeah, and this this I, I mean this goes back to sort of one of the main things that I was wanting to study when I sort of set out to do this dissertation that was originally about collectible card games, but is now sort of broadened. Uh, so there's the scholars Carter, Mitchell, and Harrop who have talked about pa- uh, pastimes as being the sort of pleasurable way to occupy your time that are gaming adjacent but not gaming themselves. So mm-hmm. they were talking about uh, like Warhammer miniatures where you know if you're involved in that hobby, probably not most of your time is spent actually playing the game. A lot of it is spent like painting the miniatures or coming up with strategies or communicating online. And sort of that broad network of gaming adjacent activities, these things that we don't necessarily think of as being gaming but are a part of gaming, is something that I'm really interested in. And I think there's a lot, a lot of Hearthstone is something that occupies a lot of my time in those sort of pastime kind of ways. So, you know, I spend time on Reddit, I spend a bunch of time, I probably, uh, maybe not a majority, but a lot of my time on YouTube is spent watching uh, Hearthstone streamers' clips and, you know, maintaining this uh spreadsheet is all sort of part of it that's amazing um i mean i like the idea of like gamer adjacent i haven't really heard of i haven't heard that term before but it reminds me of um kyle your love of gaming in terms of not i mean you like the game itself but also kind of like the storytelling and like the conversation about the games with your friends afterwards am i speaking for you no yeah that's right um because that's that's a lot of dealing with like um, Skyrim and Fallout, um, because it's like it's such a, like an open world game. Um, you can you can learn about the world by just talking with somebody else and finding out what they've done mm-hmm. in their travels. Um, so it, like I think I've talked about, it, it's like it is like it's all one world technically, but it's like such like a multi dimensional world where it's like everybody has their own experience within this world. Um, so I guess it's kind of like Groundhog's Day, where it's like every every playthrough is it's like how do you want like where do you want to go and what direction and then you just start over and then the next person like like that's their story kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Oh man, I guess are there any gaming adjacent activities that you all do? So I know Nick, you have the spreadsheet. Are there any other like gaming adjacent things that you you feel very strongly attached to? And the same question for Kyle, I guess. Minus the spreadsheet yeah. aspect of that question. Well, I mean, when, I would say probably for the last decade or so, the vast majority of my gaming has either been Hearthstone or World of Warcraft. Uh, and I haven't been playing World of Warcraft recently, but when I am, you know, I spend a lot of time sort of occupying myself similarly. So, you know, there are blogs that I follow that will, like, have news, and, you know, I'll follow forums and I'll watch videos uh, on on that. Probably not, probably I end up, if, you know, you did out the math, probably, you know, Warcraft playing actually is a bigger component of the overall thing for me than perhaps Hearthstone playing is. I probably, the balance there. There have certainly been long periods of time when I only sort of dabble in Hearthstone, but I continue to follow, uh, like, the people on YouTube that I play. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I find often, you know, when I get, get seriously into a game, it usually involves, uh, you know you know, maybe looking up speed runs of it or just sort of going to the Reddit for that uh, for that game and sort of learning a little bit about it or maybe finding fan art, things like that. I think all of this is, you know, an important part of, you know, the context of gaming that isn't necessarily the actual literal act of playing the game. I would agree. Kyle, do you have anything that you do? 
Um, I'm trying to think of the, the closest thing that I have to that. I mean, I guess it's uh, it's watching YouTubers play stuff. Um, a lot of it oh, is thanks uh, YouTube, <laughs> right? Um, this podcast brought to you by YouTube, <laughs> but not Twitch. Yes, apparently. if we say YouTube enough, maybe they'll give us money. I know, but not Twitter. I, I wonder how many Twitter. how many times it takes. I'm just um, kidding. But it's uh, things like um, I watch a lot of things from Polygon. Uh, they have like their their Monster Factory, which is basically they they go into the the games where you can you can customize your character. And then try to see how much they can kind of fuck up that system and make a really weird looking character. Mm. Like that's that's always enjoyable. Yeah, but I think that's, I that's like as, as close as I get to uh, like gaming adjacent, I guess. Yeah, and I would say like I was earlier this year I was playing through the Mass Effect games for the first time, and I probably, you know, all told, I don't know how many hours I spent just sort of fiddling with the uh the character creation not necessarily making yeah not necessarily trying to make bad looking people but sort of trying to <laughs> a lot of it involves sort of trying to recreate this first character that i came up with that i really love the appearance of right and yeah uh when i got to mass effect 3 for for reasons that i don't entirely understand like she wouldn't import properly so i was really upset when i, I when i got there and it's like no that's not what renona looks the like oh the yeah hair no, gets the, the hair gets weird but like also just like she looks great in Mass Effect 1, and she looks great in Mass Effect 2, <laughs> and then she gets to Mass Effect 3, and I get, like, this is close enough that I'm able, like, I would say, like, the first 10 hours or so of me playing Mass Effect 3 was me trying to recreate this character and, like, loading her up and getting her through the first mission and going, no, this still isn't right. Uh, and uh, just because I was so goddamn frustrated uh, on, on that, but... Did you yeah. ever actually play the game? Yeah, no, I, I played through all of them. Uh, but what did you say your the name of your Mass Effect? Renona. Renona. Mine was Grunhelda. Ah, Renona is one of my common uh, repeat uh, game uh, player names. Yeah, Grunhelda has since become mine. Kyle, do you have a repeat name? Uh, for a character. Yeah. Uh, Goji. Ah, is my... Like the berry. Yeah, like the berry. Ah. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't start as the berry. Because when I named it, I didn't know that there was a berry named Goji, uh, but it, it was the name of my troll in in World of Warcraft. That's that's where yeah, that's where game. that's where my things. T- so Wallach is my when I make a male character when I'm forced to make a male male character. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, like there's a lot of games where like, you're not given the option, so it's like fuck it, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be a dude. He'll be named Wallach. So like my Dragon <laughs> Quest characters are all named Wallach, uh, and yeah, this these go back to uh, World of Warcraft characters. So Wallach was. A human warrior that I had back in Wrath of uh, the Lich King, and Renona is um, my Torin Paladin. Uh, mm. And when whenever I'm given the option, I will always try and make them uh, people of color uh, when when I have that opportunity. Right. Same, yay! I discovered real quick that lighting in games is not well designed for darker skin tones. No, it's not. I don't know if you've also realized this. Where I'm like, wow, having, did having, not think through. having played through Mass Effect, particularly Mass Effect Three, as a black woman, no, it looks terrible. Yeah, There's the, it's like, the worst. She's constantly in shadows in ways. It's like, what are you doing to her? Stop it! She looks great in the other games. What have you done? Uh, oh yeah. yeah, it's one of my one of my feedback yes. often is like, you did not 
They did not think through the lighting. The lighting, but people. also hair is also <laughs> is also really hard because very little of the hair actually looks like natural hair. That was one no. of my one of my big frustrations. It was like all of these look like none of these look like reasonable hairstyles for. A, they look like helmets. Yeah, or or they look like Weird. or they look like white hair, and it was like no, that's not mm. that's not a style of hair that my character would have. Why she, <laughs> she is a she's a soldier lady. Why would she have like you know uh, pop star hair? That's crazy. Well, you know, it's the same yeah. reason why they wear pop star clothes yes. when they go to space battle. Yes, and Wallach because you gotta look fly. And Wallach is actually a roundabout joke about uh, about skin tones in game creation because uh, my human male, who was uh, as dark skinned as I could make him, looked not so much like a person of color, but like Eli Wallach playing a Mexican in a western. So that's why he's called Wallach. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Because yeah, it looks very—it's oh, nice. very much in that sort of bra- uh, that uh, brown skin sort of like that. Yeah. That's not what a person of color looks like. There's not no. there's not a huge slider in in World of Warcraft. No, World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. Dark. You know, every single human male is weirdly bulky, no matter what you do, and all of the yeah. all of the women, particularly on the Alliance side, are like like uncomfortably sexy, just in general. Uh, all right, I have one final question. Unless you have something that you like, really want me and Kyle to know, and the rest of the world. Oh, uh, that's a that's a big order. I can't think of anything. Brilliant. I'll interrupt you so later. My question, it's a personal. Something. It's a personal question. Are you ready? Okay. It's not that personal. Um, I break down in tears. Oh my god! I know. She asked. Well, I do. I want to ask you about like one of out of all the times you've played card games, of which you've played a lot. Um, with friends or otherwise like what's one of the most memorable <laughs> memorable memories like what's a memory that stands out to you um let's see well when i uh when i lived in atlanta still i won a tournament playing uh game of thrones uh Ooh. so that was that was pro- it's probably my, my my greatest achievement card gaming wise i have a little i have a little um trophy for it so i won uh a, a regional tournament uh, which was quite a bit of fun. Um, do you have it like? Um, were you expecting to win? Um, I mean, I've been playing a deck that I uh, that I had been playing, like been refining and tweaking for the last couple of months. So it was certainly a deck that I felt felt good about and felt confident in. But no, I did not. I was I was quite surprised uh, that I did as well as I did. So, like, the way that the prize structure worked is that, like, if you made it to the cut for top eight, so I think there were 20, 22 uh, people playing, and if you made it to the top eight, you got a special play mat, like one of those sort of mouse mm-hmm. pad-like things, and this one had this really beautiful art of the hound on it. Um, and that was that was essentially the best that I was aiming for. Is like I wanted to make top eight and get that, so that I would that would be that was the first play map that I won from one of these. I now have a lot of them from various things. But this how is, many? This, how many do you have? Uh, more than a dozen, probably. I mean, I've got well five or six for Game of Thrones, one or two for Star Wars, probably six or seven, maybe eight for uh, Conquest. So I've, I've you need a really big mouse. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was about as, as, uh, far as I expected to go, but, um, but yeah, and, and it, uh, quite not, like, it took a long time, like, we started at noon, and I think, I think the final game that I was in ended around, like, 8 or 9 p.m., uh, though thankfully the guy I was playing against was the guy I had come with, so 
There was it. It ended up just kind of being the two of us playing there while the while the uh, the judge just sort of uh, watched and made sure uh, that you know everything was was going right. Um, but yeah, I would say that's certainly you know one of my proudest moments. Just uh, feeling really good about that. Uh, and to go back to Kyle, sort of talking about playing obnoxious decks. I think I think I was pl- I was playing a deck that I really enjoyed, but probably was incredibly frustrating for a lot of people because I was playing uh, a Greyjoy deck that was all about cancel. So I had like twenty different effects that like whenever my opponent tried to do anything, I was like, no, you can't do that. Uh, and I enjoyed the hell out of it, but like I can imagine on the other side, I'm like, you goddamn bastard, what are you doing to me? Like I would have like uh, and like I would have like incredible chains where like I would cancel and they would try and cancel my cancel and I would have a cancel to cancel their cancel and in canceling it I had stood back up the thing that had done the first cancel so that I was ready to cancel the next effect. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun just in terms of sort of chaining together this just endless sort of like oh you can God. do nothing. Uh, but I'm glad that your most memorable moment is annoying. Many people. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say, like in in the scope of Game of Thrones decks that were popular, I don't think mine was you know as degener- degenerative as uh, some of them got. But I think that was also like that was, if I remember correctly, from that year of regionals, Greyjoy was the most popular house, which is the thing yeah. I didn't really know going in. We were like one of the first regionals of that season, and I'd just been playing this deck for a long time. Um, but like it, it did feel a little a little bad because you were Greyjoy before it was cool to be Greyjoy. pretty much pretty much like like the the pendulum had swung to Greyjoy and uh, it ended up being sort of like the flavor of the month so it took a little bit away from it just going like oh everybody's playing Greyjoy I feel like an asshole now uh, but <laughs> but uh, but again yeah I was doing it when I was cool uh, and they they ended up nerfing a bunch of the stuff that was in that deck so like very shortly after I won with that deck that deck was no longer legal. Um, which was kind of sad because I do I did really love that deck. That deck was a lot of fun to play, but they they cut out several of the key cards because it was too powerful. Yeah, <laughs> no one should have this much power. Yeah, they had they had printed up this agenda, which was this sort of condition that you started the game with, and so the agenda was that you get to draw an extra card every turn, but you have to play a seventy five card deck instead of a sixty card deck. Uh, and generally speaking, you want smaller decks in card games, but like the extra draw was so powerful that everyone just ended up playing this card. Uh, hmm. so. so I just had this massive deck full of all these different uh, toolkit sort of things and like 20 different cancel cards. Just go, nope, you can't do it. Nope, you can't do it. Nope. <laughs> Uh, thank you for the end story. And Nick, thank you for coming on our show. You're your inaugural welcome. guest and Ooh, gaming so broadcast. You'll go down in history. Hopefully... Uh, not infamous, but but the good kind of Hopefully not. Hopefully this won't be the last people. episode of your podcast. <laughs> it explodes. Nothing works ever again. Um, but cool. And so I'm I'm Jamie Dale, the gaming broad over at gamingbroadly.com. And we were joined today by Nick Bester, a doctoral candidate at the University of Texas at Austin, where he's in the radio, television, film department studying games and licensing. And I'm also joined by my lovely co-host, who's going to say his name now and, and take us out of here. Kyle Armstrong, not the gaming broad. Illustrator designers. Can I plug my podcast while I'm here? 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh, please do. Yes. Yeah, do if, plug, plug If away. for some reason you want to hear more of my voice, uh, I and several <laughs> of my friends from college have a podcast called Cinema Excelsior, where we talk about the film adaptations of the Marvel Universe. So we just did Thor The Dark World. We're going in order. So the next one is... I should know what the next one is, but I don't. I apologize. But whatever comes, <laughs> you should tune what in comes after out. Thor The Dark World, look forward to it sometime. That sounds amazing. Well, if you've enjoyed this, this rambling story through card game history, please go ahead and uh, check us out on iTunes. Leave some stars and some comments. Uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, you can follow us also on gamingbroadly.com. You can find all of the links to all the places that we are, of which there are too many. But choose your choose your poison. We'll see you next time on uh, Gaming Broadcast. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.